this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors in partnership with Warriors Quest is brought to you by Martin Archery, the number one archery company. Martin Archery combines leading edge modern technology with innovative design to give serious bow hunters and target archers what they demand. Axis Camera Arms for a camera arm that offers a smooth, full range of motion without restriction, lightweight, easy to pack, the name speaks for itself the Axis Revolution. Conquest Sense for more than 15 years, Conquest Sense has been selling premium hunting sense to hunters around the country. Bojax Inc., the best designed archery dampening system. Simmons Optics, everything you need, nothing you don't. Ozonics, undetectable, undeniable. Dry shod waterproof footwear, the most wearable rubber boot. Veteran innovative products, VIP broadheads. The first and only scalpel sharp broadhead with dual spring variable cutting width suspension for superior penetration. Elevated safety systems. Rancho Rio Lindo in Uvalde, Texas. Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Eufaula, Alabama. So in this episode, we'll be joined by board members from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a nonprofit organization. During this episode, we intend to discuss not only what Backcountry Hunters and Anglers does and continues to do for our public lands, but also how you can make a positive impact on how the non-hunting public views outdoors men and women in our public lands. <clears throat> First off, I want to define the title of this episode is going to be Public Land Ambassador. So, to define an ambassador is a person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specific activity. I'll have you guys go ahead and go around the table and introduce yourself. Um, Adam Steele, I'm the R3 chair. Uh, Scott Pink, I'm the, uh, I'll be the uh, state chair for Florida. I'm uh, Steve Christian, I'm the uh, secretary. I'm Chase Wall, and I'm the executive member at large. And then you've got myself and Briar, which you're very used to hearing from every week. So, <clears throat> what does it mean to be a public land ambassador? I can start. Um, Go ahead. It, for me, I think a lot of people in Florida aren't aware of how much public land there is. For me personally, my, I'm all about keeping it a little cleaner than, than we tend to do. I don't think that hunters and anglers are necessarily the folks. <laughs> Litter in the trailhead. You know, a lot of times it's, it's folks just stopping by. You know, they're coming by and nobody's going to drink. But I think you know, as I don't think people understand that public land belongs to everybody. It belongs to you and me equally. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that, and they're not aware of how much public land there actually is. Not all of it's available for hunting, but most of it is. All of it's available for recreational opportunities, and a lot of it is available for fishing opportunities. Yeah, we rank number 14 in the United States for public land availability, and that's out of all 50 states. Obviously, we're no Alaska, but we are number one in the southeast. <laughs> yeah. So, and that says something. And like you were saying, we have a huge amount of, of public water access, um, but we're still losing some of that every day, whether it be water just disappears entirely or we, they, they close the boat ramp that used to be public, and now the lake is private, and you can't get in there and fish anymore. 
And I've seen that happen. I've heard of it happening. My dad used to always ride around with him. I used to fish this lake, or I used to fish that lake, so on and so forth. And you just can't anymore because now it's surrounded by houses and everything else. I think rooftops. Killer. <laughs> Public land. It's the number one crop in Florida. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh, absolutely. So you were talking about taking initiative and keeping our woods and water clean. What is something you guys do to take, go that extra mile? Well, in the last two years, uh, um, the Southeast chapter has been doing uh, gobblers and garbage. And you get uh, during uh, spring turkey season, we've been doing uh, competitions with, uh, with um, your turkey. You measure the beard and then you pick up trash and you get points for the more trash you pick up the higher your place is and you kind of i think what we do this year we had a, a yeti cooler i believe mm-hmm. turkey vest uh and a, i think some onyx cards and a couple other things to get people out there to um try to pick up trash and do their part on public lands i mean i know this past this year uh this spring we had pretty much had a competition it was almost florida against alabama with two different guys with uh jim uh, who's not here today? Him and uh, Wayne Lackey from Alabama, and they were they were trying to uh, out pick up how much. I, and I can't imagine. I think the both of them probably filled up a dumpster's worth of trash I, by I, themselves. I think Jim filled up six six hundred ten gallon bags. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I think he picks up more trash than some uh, city municipalities around. And it, was, and it was, <laughs> but it was only like a ten acre area in the Ocala National Forest, and, right? <laughs> and and that's the wor- that's that's great, but it's also absolutely pitiful. Yeah, that you yeah, can find that much trash in a ten acre area. area in the I, I guess as a uh, with a public land ambassador, one thing I know that I do, and we do it at pretty much every time I go offshore with my buddy that. Uh, we, if we see any balloons or any trash offshore, we try to pick that stuff up. Have I actually, whenever I see balloons or any kind of trash that's not that I can manage to get back to the truck, I try to bring all that stuff out with me. I think uh, um, Bronson, for an example, last year, I think I found every time I went out there and scouted, every time I went and hunted, I think I found one or two balloons each time, and I made sure bring that back sometimes you find beer cans soda cans water bottles stuff like that uh old uh orange tape i'll take some of that stuff down so because some of that you could tell it's been there for for longer longer than a year or longer than a season when it's uh it's the sun's baked it pretty good so i i just i guess it i just try to clean up what i can and try to do my part try to do and make sure that i'm not littering myself or anything like that right and we're kind of the same way but the thing that i see that aggravates me the most is when i go out and i sit on these public waters and i'm gonna duck hunt and then i get out there and i find shells find little debbie wrappers and i find beer cans and i find all this other garbage that's not ours it was there when we showed up and we're picking it up but why it's frustrating to me to know that someone who calls himself an outdoorsman or a hunter or fisherman or whatever is out there littering our lakes as well Chase and I were just talking about that on the drive over here. That 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 has always amazed me. That you know, the people who are outdoorsmen profess to be out. They enjoy obviously being outdoors. They're out there for a purpose, but they believe trash behind. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you can always find a good deer hunting spot because there's empty water bottles and stuff at the base of a tree. 
And, and you're talking about balloons. I have never been so deep in the swamp that I've not found a mylar balloon. <laughs> yeah. Never. <laughs> not heard. I mean, I've read articles and rumors on those about how they they're caught by thermals, and that's supposed to be a good spot to find a big buck. I, I don't know because well, can he smell I, you through there? I could tell you, I kept on finding. I I think I found five or six balloons in one spot, and there were no big bucks there. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did have two Pope and Young uh, balloons last year. Great, great big ones. <laughs> I but I I have heard that. I have heard other people say the thermals that it, so. But I've yet to find a big deer in those. I, I, I What state have you been looking for big deer when, when coincide with balloons? <laughs> well, where I was sitting, the only thing I, I sat uh, last year, I think I was in Bronson. I sat all day for two days muzzleloring, and I, I saw one uh, pretty good spike. But I couldn't. he was moving so quick, I couldn't tell if he was a spike or a four-pointer. So I mean, he, if that was in Ocala, that was, he could have been king of the roost right in there. You never yeah. know. <laughs> But so being a voice and a face for public land, um, you guys attend these community meetings with FWC, correct? A lot of guys, I know there's some, not everybody in force, but um, always, but. So I'll, I'll use what I've, I started. So do you want me to talk about what got me into B? Cause it kind of all. Yeah, all, go ahead. So long story short, I had gotten away from hunting. I was doing some trying to do, become a strongman competitor and that didn't work that. So went back back to hunting and was doing a little here and there some public land and then i have um my dad is a member of a club in north carolina so i brought my kids up there and i kind of uh in both my kids that year uh my son the first day we were out there my son shot a nice seven and the next day same stand an hour later my my daughter shot a beautiful nine pointer that was he measures about Measures about 120, 122, somewhere around there. Um, and it was just the overall feeling of, a, I don't want to say accomplishment, but just how proud I was for both of my kids. I felt, I felt I was more proud of them for the deer that they had harvested than, than the, the deer I have taken in my life. Not that I've taken a lot of deer, but I was just, and it was something about it that said, and I've been a member of, uh, Florida Hunters Network on Facebook, and it's you, you see the same names over and over again. The same people that are are fighting. I don't want to say fighting, but are are showing up to meetings. The Chuck Etcheniks, uh, Newton Cook, Mike Elf, those guys. So you see all them guys, and there it's pretty much the same ones. So I realized that that I'm I'm going to be in Florida for a while. So I wanted to help push hunting in florida hunting and fishing that that it's something that will stay so i decided that i was going to start getting involved so after with my after that that was the decision that to my kids expressions and how i felt i realized that it was that i wanted to continuously continue on helping hunting helping make sure that it's a tradition that stays so I started going to FWC meetings. I started in December. I try to go. Uh, we've been going to quite a lot of them. I think, um, what was it, last year, 2019? I believe it was 2019 for the bear meeting. We drove, uh, Jim came and picked me up from work at like 6 at night. We drove all the way up to Panama City. We got there about midnight, uh, slept for a few hours, and then got up and uh, attended that bear hunting meeting. Uh, 
you can there's a lot of um you see a lot of people complaining on Facebook, in the forums, in the different groups complaining about, well, they don't do this, they don't do that. And, and honestly, that showing up to meetings and, and speaking on behalf of hunters and behalf of yourself is, is more constructive than just sitting on Facebook and you know, sitting on social media, sitting on the forums and complaining about it. So, uh, that to me, that's one of the biggest ways to get involved because we are in Florida. We have pretty much one main agency is FWC. So why not? Why would you not want to come to those meetings and speak on behalf of uh, hunting topics, hunting and fishing topics that pertain to recreational hunters and anglers? Yeah, absolutely. And especially now, one of the big positive things that come out of this coronavirus crap is that they've moved all those meetings online. So the, yeah. the big, the hardest part that's been in the past for me is attending those meetings is it seems to be that where we live, right, where I live right here um, is four hours from every single meeting that the FWC has. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a geographical lot of it. And I clock in the morning and the weekday. Yeah. 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 But the it's thing is, um, yeah, and what I do hope is that all this, I hope when when we are, because I, I, I know a lot of people don't like going to meetings and sitting there all day. It's, I don't want to say it's a blast. It's fun because there's other people there. You can talk to other people, go out to lunch. It's it's a good way to meet other, uh, a lot of the other advocates. It's a good way to meet them in person. And, and so, but what I do hope is once this, the whole coronavirus thing is done or when Whatever's going, whenever this ends, the FWC continues to do in-person meetings and they continue to do their online meetings. Yeah, I would love to see a hybridized version. Yeah. yeah. I think what's, can... what's, what's important to note here is that FWC does want your input and they do value it. Yeah. Right? You know, they, they do listen to, obviously they have to base their decisions on science, but how they get to that end result, they can work with the public, value your input on that. They do. I set in on the uh, Lake Harris chain meeting for coming up with a management plan, and they want to hear from hunters. They want to yeah. hear stakeholders. They're taking the time out of their day. They give everybody a chance to speak, and it's really easy to be involved. You just have to show up and be involved. And that's the other good thing about being able to do these online meetings is hey, – one day you can be in South Florida Water Management District, paying attention, looking, listening to what's going on down there, and the next day you can be in the FWC meeting, all in the comfort of your house, drinking coffee and and, and sitting on the couch or sitting I, in front of the kitchen table. I have literally sat at my desk at work and worked on vids with the meeting playing on my phone. I mean, a lot of times I sit there and I listen to podcasts and stuff while I work. But every time they have a meeting, I've always make sure to have that and it's sitting on my desk, whether I'm actually physically watching what's going on, which on the phone doesn't really work all that well. It's a little harder uh, for me at work. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to it and I'm taking and if I have a comment to say, I'll always get in there and, and try and make my voice heard that way. Um, but it's nice to be able to have that, that uh, technological advantage to get in there since this coronavirus has kicked off and they try to socially distance everybody that way. But I, I would really love to see a hybridized version stay that way once we get back to normal. So, what does BHA do for public lands across the U.S. and Florida? What is what is the, the main goal of BHA? Uh, honestly, it, it, 
pretty much keep public lands in public hands. Keep try to keep people active. Um, look at uh, what they did with um, the Great American Outdoors Act with the letter writing campaigns. And when uh, so when there's an issue, that's a that's a wonderful thing about BHA is, is when there's an issue, whether it be uh, in Bristol Bay with the Pebble Mine. Uh, all over the U.S., they usually have, you can go on the website and uh, you can fill out the information or if you could save it and then uh, you'll, uh, a letter will be sent to that representative or the person in charge to uh, know your to know opinions whether or not you're for or against something. Um, they do not just, I mean, how many, I think there's like 46 chapters right now in BHA and we just, as the Southeast, we did gobblers and garbage. There's all these other groups out West that, uh, um, they have rifle. I know they have ranges. They do range cleanups. They do uh, across the U S they're doing cleanup stuff. Um, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. no, but we, yeah. we can circle back to the bears. Um, the bear thing. You know, what I think people need to remember is we talk about BHA. BHA is us. It's it's guys like us. And it's not, you know, it's primarily a Western organization, but Florida has its own unique things going on. But I I don't remember the exact numbers, but with the keeping bears, keeping hunting as a management tool for bears in Florida. They received like 3,200 comments. Over 2,000 of those were from BHA members. Uh, yeah, with that, I mean, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it, but Jim did a pretty good job. Jim has a, did a good job of writing the first letter, and, and we worked with our chapter coordinator at the time. Jim was the uh, secretary, or the uh, my apologies, Jim was the treasurer for the Southeast chair, so he took it upon himself. Uh, he wrote the letter that we, he he actually read the whole plan, the bear management plan, that it, the study they did. It's, a, I think, like 200 pages. It's pretty 209 pages. Thorough, yeah. Yes. I looked and it I, up. I was I, like, I, there's no I, way I know this. I scanned through it when we originally started this, and then the other is yesterday or this morning, I re-scanned through it to make sure I had some of my numbers right. Um, but uh, so Jim wrote the letter. It was sent to the Florida guys. We approved, we didn't have any issue with what was in the letter, so it got sent to the chapter coordinator. The chapter coordinator made it uh, the letter through the website, so if you went on the website, put your name and information in there, and the letter was automatically sent. On top of that, we, had, we pushed people to send their comments directly to FWC through the proper links on, that, on, on FWC's website also. Okay, so is is there any way people can still go on and send that letter? No, uh, right. Now, I I'm not sure what's going on. Um, I don't think they're done with the public comment part of that. And the good okay. thing is, with during that time, they were trying. There was quite a few people that were wanted to take hunting. Off. I'm sorry, I have a lot of notes. They wanted to take hunting as a viable management tool off. off. So, but with, I mean, I think, I can't remember, there were something like 60 plus people on the comments that day. And, and <clears throat> granted, there were quite a few of people that were opposed of it, but I can, I can tell you 
whether or not they were BHA members or not BHA members. Hunters were there in unison. The dog hunters were there, uh, public land hunters, private land hunters. There were all kinds of people there, and we all pretty much echoed. I don't want to say we echoed the same thing because uh, at the commissioners were sure to say, hey, listen, we don't want you guys coming up here and continuously repeating what the other person said. So we were, some of us were sitting there re, redoing our notes as people would bring up stuff. And it was all, it was all with, in with hunters, there was a lot of science being presented. You had one of our, somebody bring up the North American model of conservation, some of the other stuff that with that, and then with, with some of the people that were against hunting as a management tool, it was a lot of emotion there was not a lot of it wasn't a lot of science-based information on there the facts weren't there for yes. those people that were non yeah for and yes so so enough people uh, now i think pretty much i believe they all were already going to leave hunting on i but they they assured everybody that hunting would be a viable management tool they just didn't know when when hunting would become a viable management tool with Florida black bears. So I'll read you some stuff verbatim from the black bear management plan. Um, while 94% of Americans believe people should have the right to hunt, the black bear hunting, and black bear hunting is common across North America, the practice remains controversial, specifically here in the state of Florida. Uh, FWC contracted a survey of Floridians and found that while 70% supported regulated hunting of wildlife in general, there was a considerable difference when asked about hunting bear specifically. Respondents were nearly evenly split on their opinion on bear hunting, with slightly more in support of bear hunting at 48% than opposed at 43%. Support rose to 62% when asked if respondents would support bear hunting if they were aware that FWC was carefully monitoring the black bear population to ensure hunting would be compatible with maintaining healthy, sustainable bear numbers. So... And even in there, and that, that was verbatim from their management plan. Um, hey, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I apologize. Their, their primary challenge of using regulated hunting to manage black bear populations is not whether it's an effective method, but rather how to communicate it to the public that it achieves a long-term goal. Uh, because there are a lot of people that just, they love bears because they're cuddly. They appear that way. Yeah, emotions run high on both sides. Yeah. We talk about, you know, people that are opposed to black bears getting emotional about it. Hunters get emotional about it, too. It's it's for different reasons. What is it? Char- charismatic megafauna? Yeah, charismatic yeah, megafauna. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking about mosquitoes today. Nobody cares about mosquitoes as long as they're gone, right? <laughs> you know, but they don't care how you eliminate mosquitoes, how it's done. Just get them out of my way. If you have bears rooting through your garbage every day because they're we're, we're encroaching on their habitat or the bear's just looking for an easy meal, start thinking, well, maybe I ought to move that bear somewhere else. And moving doesn't work. No. Well, a lot of that comes down to carrying capacity of the land, which is a scientific term. It's how, what size population the habitat can sustain. And the fact of the matter is, with the overpopulation, the carrying capacity isn't there. So these bears are driven out of their ranges into neighborhoods. They starve. They get hit by cars. There's just a lot of other that ways is, they die in nature is, other than hunting. Yeah. Uh, wait, so I, I went through the bear study and picked up a couple of the uh, highlights from from that. What, so the Florida black bear, 
Florida black bear was removed from state designated threatened species in 2012. They estimate over 4,000 bears occupying 49% of their historic range. Uh, the estimate is during the 1500s, there were 11,500 bears in Florida. Uh, in 1974, uh, the bear numbers, the estimated number was 300. That's the lowest it's ever been in history. In the early 90s, they estimated 1,000 to 1,500 bears in the state of Florida. Um, during 2012, 2015, they're estimating from anywhere from 3,063 to 5,695 bears in the state of Florida. Um, it, so then they're saying 2014 to 2015, the average population is somewhere around 3,700, almost 3,800 bears. If nothing is done, the predicted population between 2026 and 2027, they're predicting it'll be over 11,000 bears in the state of Florida. So then we can go on to mortality. Is um, So besides humans, the most sources of bear mortality in Florida is malnutrition or another bear, another bear attacking that bear. Most known bear... Most known bear mortality occurs from birth to one year in age and can ex can exceed 60% in some areas. Uh, the females' sur survivorship exceeds 90%, while males is 70 to 75% because of larger home ranges and are more mobile, which exposes them to greater risks, especially collisions with vehicles. So we'll go, we can talk about s s the major decline in the bear population from 2009 to 2018, on average, every year, FWC has documented 222 bears killed by, by motor vehicle collision. Uh, the number of bears FWC has killed has, has euthanized due to public health or public safety risks is from 2009 to 2018 is 378. And you get a lot of people that also say bears are being illegally killed. Yeah. Uh, and from 2009 to 2018, 144 bears were killed illegally. That averages out to 14 per year. So uh, you can't you can't tell me that you're all right. That 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 the way to deal with the bear population is to just let them sit there and get run over by vehicles or or killed or uh, starve star <laughs> from malnutrition. You can't tell me that is a proper way to manage to manage a species. I don't understand. You mean to tell me that wild animals don't just grow old and die in their sleep? <laughs> I've, I've said that so many times. Nobody in nature dies dies of old age. It's a horrible death. Yeah, yeah. most months, nine times out of ten, it, it includes suffering. And and then you could talk about population management options because there's a couple out of the seven bear management units, um, West Panhandle. They have 120 bears. Their objective is 200. Uh, East and these are all estimates. East Panhandle, they say they have a thousand sixty bears. Their objective is five hundred and seventy. So they're almost twice as many bears that the, that I get. Well, see, that's a that's a very good point. Yeah. Where people don't animals talking about carrying capacity. Unfortunately, you talk about bears' historic range was the whole state of Florida. We've encroached mm -hmm. on a lot of that. So where bears, where it is suitable for bears to live now, there may be. Hunting is a management tool, like one area where they're almost double the population of the carrying capacity. That Those bears are going to have to be thinned out. There's other places where you, they won't hunt over there because they're, 
you can carry more bears. Yeah, so you're yeah, right. so so uh, Big Bend has 20, 20. I I saw two figures in there. It was twenty to thirty bears with their objective is two hundred. So there's the two areas: West Panhandle and Big Bend. Uh, and South Central. South Central is at 98 bears. They would like 200 bears there. So that they would like to see a minimum of 200 bears in those areas. Uh, the North has 496. Objective is 260. Central is 1,000, almost 2,000 bears in Central Florida. Their objective is a, a, a thousand thirty. So we're twice as many bear. Um, south is a thousand forty-four. Objective is 700. I've seen some of the pictures of the monster bears in South Florida from the, the guys that are in the Everglades, and there's some big bears down I've there. Seen, yeah. I've bears seen big bears <laughs> right here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. here. Yeah. Jim, Jim, Jim Hazel will be out, be out walking at night and he'll, in his neighborhood, similar to this, and bump a bear. Yeah. Bump a bear. I think he was frog um, gigging on I've a golf I've seen almost as many bear. bears in Florida as I did when I lived in Colorado. I saw the biggest black bear, I, one of the biggest black bears I've ever seen in the state of Florida driving to work one morning. <laughs> in the neighborhood that I live in. I rounded the corner and it crossed the road. And I said, damn, that's a big bear. And there it went, across to the house. <laughs> that, and but, and they're, they're there with us because we took away the woods they used to have. Over here where I live in, in the subdivision down the street, um, they used to all be woods. I grew up oh, in the house we're sitting in right now. This across the street here. We had tree forts built all back through here. There was woods all back behind us. They're all gone now. All There used to be orange groves up here. It's all houses. All this down here used to be cow pasture and woods. It's all houses. Today, it was, uh, there was cow pastures, and I used to ride horses with my grandfather. It's now literally a housing development. Yeah, <laughs> we do exercise a lot of single species management for people. <laughs> in, in, I mean, I uh, listen. I've only been here since two thousand three. I think two thousand three. I started the com the company. I got a job with was in the Winter Garden area, and uh, so I worked there from oh three to like oh seven. And you can see before the four twenty nine was built. Now that the four twenty nine is done, uh, that used to be all orange groves. And all trees and now if it's not a subdivision it's a, a gigantic solar farm but the majority of all that they're cutting all those trees down for all subdivisions and I, I've lived in this house we're sitting in right now uh, from about 1996 or 97 until 2012 and there were times when we would have on a regular basis foxes in the yard we had all kinds of wildlife here. We Wild had turkeys. seen turkeys. We had seen panthers here. Uh, but you don't see that anymore. It's all disappeared. To see a fox here, we were actually recording a podcast one night, standing outside. This is one this is actually the first podcast we recorded indoors, isn't it? Normally we're no, outside, we're we standing the, by the fire. One night with a tornado. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Normally we're outside, we're standing by the fire, we get out in the woods, uh, we use a little better, a, a, a different mobile setup if it's just two of us, and we like to be outside in nature so you can hear the crickets, you hear us talking, and we were standing, I was standing out here with my brother in the driveway recording a podcast, and a fox ran across the yard, and I said, I've never, I haven't seen a fox here in years, uh, because they've just torn everything down, they don't have that habitat anymore. Development, and we brought up a couple things that I do want to get back to, but with BHA, and you mentioned the public land advocacy. One thing that people, the last number I saw is on average about a day Florida. All right. About 800 people a day move to Florida. 
Um, and it's just going to keep growing. So when you look at public land advocacy, yes, there's a lot of private land hunters. There's a lot of people that only private lands. A lot of people is like, BHA is a Western organization. Why do we need to care about them? Because most people have a story where they lost their private access. Got sold out from under them to a higher bidder. Got sold to a developer. Uh, it became a housing development. And that not only hurts us as hunters, it hurts the, the species overall because of habitat fragmentation. And for something like the bear to come back from such a low point, it's actually a conservation success story. It's a good thing that we have enough of a critter, a critter like that have a sustainable hunting season. That's a messaging piece that be brought forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you've given a lot of good statistical information, and I'll say this because you said that. When we're done with this, I'm going to take all those charts. I, I got all the charts from the Black Bear Banisher program. Those are going to be on our social media websites. So you can actually look at those charts and see how many are killed by cars per year, so on and so forth, like you were talking about, oh. and breaking down by the bear management units. They, they, uh, so um, I forget which FWC commissioner it was, but if you, if you read through that, if you actually take the time and read through that 200-page study, there's not much that they did not put in there. They all bro they broke it down to county by how much each county gets for uh, bearwise for the bearwise program, how much money the state. There's everything the history of the black bear in Florida. Everything about the Florida black bear is inside that study, and and it's well worth it's a it's an educational read. If you, if you're uh, if you have nothing to do, I, I I tell you that it's definitely worth reading. It's interesting. Um, I did read through all 200 pages of it. Yeah. And that's why I built the notes that I have here in front of me off of it. Um, but there's a lot of really good information in there. It can get a little dry at times because it is very factual and scientific. And it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a book. It's not written as a book. It's written as a study. Um, but there's a lot of good information in there. And we talked about, we're, we, we've really touched mainly on the regulated hunting. And then we, but there are other management tools of the other management tools they, they lay out in there. Regulated hunting is the only one that generates money. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, the, and when they had the black bear hunt, FWC in 2015 collected $375,000 through the sale of, sales of permits for the bear hunt. And, and that, that's people buying, what, I forget what were the, the tags were, $100? I, I can't yeah, remember. I wish I could participate. It costs more than that. I think the I think the black bear tag was a hundred dollars, and that that's how many people were buying a tag, knowing that the possibility of them actually harvesting a bear was like zero percent in, in there, and they were still they still bought the tag. I think they reached the quota in what. 48 hours. Yeah, it wasn't, even, it wasn't even that. Yeah, there's so many bears out there that they knocked And, and, and yeah. the first weekend. Hunting as a management tool is for something called compensatory mortality. So what that does is it takes into account all the ways these, these animals are going to die. And it says if 10% are going to die every year, let that 10% be through hunting as a management tool. So you're compensating for that loss. It's not like you're killing more than already would be killed. You're just selectively harvesting 
the ones that science says they're, there's they're, room to take out of the population. There's a certain number going to be removed from the population. Regardless. That's how it happens. It's how it, it happens. It, exactly right. And were you going to touch on the other Yeah, I do want to touch on okay. a couple of the other ones. Then, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, got, um, I got a quick question. Okay, let's say that bear gets hit by a truck or a car or whatever. Uh, what happens to that meat from the bear? Rots. It rots. That's exactly. A, that's, <laughs> a, that's another messaging tool that I think kind of gets lost because a lot of the people who oppose the bear hunt see it as just a trophy hunt. They see well, it's just a bunch of rednecks who want to go and put something on their wall. When, in fact, that's not true. Uh, most, if not everybody, wants to hunt because they love to be outside. And bear meat, if you haven't had it, is some fine, fine table fare. At one time, bear meat was preferred to bear meat because of the other things it offered. Fat you can render uh, has a lot of uses. So it was seen as, as an animal that you can use a lot of, not just meat, not just the hide, but it, it had a lot of uses. Um, and, and it still does. If, if people could just see it for the whole package instead of just the skin or the head. You know, I've had both fall bear and spring bear, and I definitely prefer spring bear over fall bear. I hear people mm-hmm. say there's not a difference, and I hear people say there is, and I I don't know. I haven't. The, the, the spring bear they've eaten. Yeah, the right. spring bear that I had yeah. came from. He's been purging for six, four. These, five both months. these bears <laughs> came from. Yeah, they both He's came from Tennessee. <laughs> they both came from Tennessee, but the spring bear is is mainly eating on berries and all that fruit that's growing in the springtime, where the fall bears is is. is Filling up on nuts. But he's been laying there tenderizing for three or four months. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, like, like a Wagyu cow, right? He's just been laying there. So Both of them were good, but the spring bear was far sweeter. Yeah. Far sweeter than the fall bear. Uh, but so of the other management tools that they that the FWC listed, they had fertility control. Uh, the vast majority of research on influencing reproduction has been focused on human or domestic animals. Research on fertility control to influence wildlife populations has focused on either surgical procedures to block reproductive pathways um, or vaccines that stimulate the body's immune system to stop production of antibodies, hormones, or proteins essential for reproduction. Substantial challenges remain before fertility control can be used to stabilize free-ranging wildlife populations. Uh, some of the challenges include, uh, one, the need to administer the contraceptive on an annual basis. <laughs> it's gonna get we have a we have a real problem with fertility control with the human population who knows what they're doing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's real hard to get a bear to comply. And, and then what's the uh, is it, what's the uh, area in New York that they spent millions of dollars trying Long to? Is it Long, uh, Long Island has yeah. a deer problem that they wanted to use contraceptives on, and it's. They spent millions of dollars. Then the same thing with the feral horse population out west is they've tried for t- fertility control on them, and they, it has it. Obviously, that's a big, that's right. a whole nother topic. That so uh, <laughs> that also costs money, right? Yeah, to do all that. yeah. yeah. and that's money that's, that's leaving yearly. Tax whereas payment. hunting, yeah, whereas hunting would contribute to that fund. So <laughs> not only is it expensive. Uh, we don't know if it's going to work. And on top of that, the only studies they have are, are mainly of, like you said, the deer, uh, which we can easily find and easily know which is a male and which is a female. Black bears are not, they're solitary animals. So one, they're not easy, not nearly as easy to find as, as white-tailed deer are. 
And then two, distinguishing a male from a female, uh, we're going to go out and tranquilize. Well, that's a big bear. We tranquilize it, walk over there, and it's not the, the sex we're looking for. So now we've wasted that money in the tranquilizer, and we have to move on. We have to monitor this bear until it comes back, and then we need to move on and try and find it again. So it's it's a not a very viable viable management tool. Not cost effective. It's not time effective. It's not labor effective. Everything about it's flawed. Um, then you have contract killing, which find that one real quick. <clears throat> It was the contract killing is it, the big issue with that you you have is that um, a lot of the what you see is stuff you don't normally people aren't used to seeing people out there at night with spotlights people with night vision you're gonna have to now hire these people at I think they were estimating it five about three to five hundred dollars per white-tailed deer so it's gonna be more for a bear um, and now we have to go out there and, and you pay these people to do that. And that's not as effective. And it's not viewed well by the public because, quite honestly, it, it, it looks like poaching. Uh, although it's not. And, and then they, the, 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 the confusion of calling those people hunters. Well, what I'm trying to is at, during their job, their, if their job is contracted shooting or trapping, I wouldn't call them, them a hunt. I wouldn't call them per se a hunter. But the confusion with the general public of accusing it, it, it exactly goes to now the general public thinks, why is this guy out with a spotlight and a suppressor <laughs> shooting, yeah. shooting these bears? And the first thing that will jump to their mind is somebody's poaching. Right. Uh, which in turn gives us a bad name. Because the general public, uh, they may call, uh, call law enforcement and FWC shows up, FWC contacts that person. They say, I'm legally allowed to do this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I'm at. Uh, and then that person that called may never hear a different word. So then now they tell their neighbor, and the neighbor tells the other neighbor, and so on and so forth. And now, as far as everybody knows in the neighborhood, there's been a poacher going around killing bears at night, um, which makes us look bad. Mm -hmm. So, and then you have habitat manipulation, which basically means they're going to, Make it where they can't survive habitat around the houses. But the, pro the biggest problem with habitat manipulation is it's fairly effective at pushing deer away from neighborhoods. You, you burn the undergrowth where they hide. You, you create these uh, an, inha an ininhabitable habitat for those bears, so they want to leave. But at the same time, we also destroy habitat for a bunch of other subspecies that needed that what was there so there isn't really a good all-around management plan for bears that doesn't affect everything else negatively or doesn't come out of the taxpayer dollars heavily well, habitat manip manipulation for bears is complicated in that bears are omnivores and they're just as happy to eat out of somebody's garbage can as they are to you know dig around looking for grubs uh, eat wild persimmons Snuffling up acorns. I can't tell you how many so, times I get the neighborhood thing that comes around on my security system that there's a bear in somebody's trash can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Grease trap behind Burger King. Yeah. You know, they'll, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they'll get anywhere. And yeah. they'll, and they'll just as easily grab a Tinkerbell the Chihuahua mm -hmm. as, as anything else. If it's easy enough to grab. They're, they're uh, opportunistic feeders. 
So then uh the the last one is translocation. Trying to trying to uh relocate the bear to a different area, but then they this they have different rules on or there's different rules on what kind of what kind of bear they can relocate and then how expensive that is and the, and how often the, the bear just walks back. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll pick the bear 100 miles away. You know, they they, end they, up right back where Yeah, they, they pick the bear up. He's at Disneyland, right? He's at Disney World. They drive him all the way up past Jacksonville. Next thing you, three weeks later, he's back. <laughs> back in Disney. I mean, yeah. if I was a bear, I'd want to live at Disney. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of free That's food it. there. They got, a whole, they got a whole theater dedicated to that. Country Bear Jamboree. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the best place. I think I saw on Florida Florida Duck Hunter. Somebody was commented on there. They wanted to know where the best spot to kill uh, kill ducks in Florida was. Is if you want to kill greenheads, and I I gave grid coordinates, and it was in the middle of Disney World. And I've never seen more mallards in the there state is, of Florida than, than in Disney World. There is a little tiny retention pond in my neighborhood. It's about half the size of this house we're sitting in, and the ducks are pushing each other out of the way. You go to an accident, a lake where you can hunt ducks. I'm not a thing right there. Yes, because nobody's feeding them corn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and that's another big issue you're seeing here in the in the uh, state of Florida with the bears is that people are, whether intentionally or unintentionally, feeding these bears by leaving food outside for your cat or your dog or whatever else, and they're coming up, they're tearing apart your bird feeders, or tearing apart your garbage cans, or tearing apart cat food, any kind of food source you leave outside, they're going to get into. Um, and then when that bear comes and gets into that cat food or tears apart your garbage can and it has to be taken care of because it's doing that thing, that stuff, now it's, that, that's a dead bear. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've all seen the video where, is the, where the bear's sitting at the picnic table, the recent video on, on this <laughs> circulating social media that, that, they're, that group, uh, I think it's like four or five people are feeding that bear. I'm not sure. But, I, did, I did see that. Yeah. There's that, that saying of Extremely a irresponsible. Fed bear. Dead bears and dead bears. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah, that's a. You read some of the comments, and that were the, that's what they said. A fed bear is a dead bear. And that's the same thing goes for alligators in the state of Florida. People have a problem with a big problem with feeding alligators. So and I, I don't understand that. But what happened that gator in, in Disney that one time? I wanted to date that kid. They found yeah. out that the Reedy Creek Fire Department was feeding alligator. They start to associate humans with food, and they lose their fear. And that's another great thing that hunting can, can serve to put back into the bear population is, is a fear of humans. It's natural for the bear to fear us. It's natural for wild animals to fear humans. And when they stop doing that, then we have a problem. Uh, bears are just one of the, the many species on the list of things you're not supposed to be feeding that people are still feeding. Sandhill, Sandhill cranes. cranes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The morning hard to get out of the way <laughs> in the car. Yeah. That was going to be a question I had. I'm going to wait for later about when we're going to talk about being able to hunt those. That's that's <laughs> that's tough because there is a subpopulation of sandhill cranes that never leaves. It's not migratory, yep. Yeah. And you can't tell the difference in the two of them. So, but. It's all about human bear conflict management. Um. Manage human bear conflicts as measure by maintaining annual core complaints at or below 50% of all bear-related calls received by the FWC statewide by bear management unit by taking the following actions. 
Coordinate with local government officials and occupied bear range to imp implement methods to reduce human-bear conflicts. Continue to monitor and adapt policies and guidelines to ensure that institutional knowledge is retained and responses are standardized and effective. Create and maintain partnerships with non-governmental organizations and businesses and assist the FWC's efforts to reduce human-bear conflicts and provide and promote methods the public can use to avoid or reduce conflict with bears. The intended objective is to achieve a balance between maintaining bear populations and minimizing human-bear conflicts. There is an overlap between the conflict management and the minimizing bear-human conflicts. Education outreach objectives, because both center on human-bear interactions, the main difference is that the education outreach objective approaches the conflicts by providing information to encourage people to take actions to avoid human-bear conflicts. So that's the big issue we're coming up with. We haven't had we hadn't had a we hadn't had a bear cause injury to a human for a long time, but that's becoming more common now. Um, I'd have to really search through. I know I put it in here, but there's statistics where that is on the rise. State of Florida. Uh, last summer or last he's in Ocala National Forest. They had to close down certain campsites last year because of the bear because of a bear or two. I believe it was Ocala. I'd have to. In the, it, I don't doubt it. Ocala yeah, is full Ocala's, of bears. Yeah, <laughs> and it's full of campsites. Yeah. I, the yeah. only other place I could see where that could possibly happen would be Rock Springs, but you can't camp in there. Um, but Ocala, that's a that's a big camping area, big hunting area. So that that stuff is becoming way more common, and it's not good. Kill a deer in Ocala National Forest, there's a good chance that bear's going to beat you to it. <laughs> Don't leave it lay. <laughs> yeah. Not only because of the Florida heat. But... Unless you kill one in the middle of 42. Or no, it dies in the middle of 42. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my, my cousins had that happen to them. They were, they were running dogs up in the forest. And they shot the deer and it ran out. And it laid down in the middle of 42. And it's still alive. Uh, so... What other topics do you guys want to cover? We got. I'm going to talk about R3. Yeah. yeah so we, were, we, we were talking about Adam is, is really deep into that. Chase and I were talking about it. And, you know, there's. I'll, I'll, one of these, I said, I just listened to a podcast the other day. The guy, why I don't think we need more hunters. Chase and I were talking about this on the way over in the car that um, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword. The alligator thing is a. Typical. This is the first year I've not drawn an alligator tag. When I've applied, I was drawn. A lot more people apply, but not everybody we recruit is going to stay a hunter. But what, what did you say, Chase? Every time, not everybody we because R three for everybody that doesn't know is recruit, retain, reactivate. So you recruit new hunters, you retain those hunters, you reactivate hunters that have left the community. Not everybody we recruit we're going to retain, but if we can recruit people to just be on our side because. Obviously, as a model, everybody in the United States hunting is not sustainable. But if we can have those people on our side, the you know, vast majority of non-hunters that are on the fence, they're not anti-hunters, but they don't hunt. If we can get them on our side, then that's a plus for us. Helps. So that's what I think a big R3 is, is just to show the public what the hunting community is all about. Yeah, one of the, one of the most successful things BHA 
members in Florida have done is small game hunts, hosting hunts. They've been very popular, and it's a good time, and you meet like-minded people who share the same ethics. But Adam is our R3 chair. Yeah, I think, like Chase said, most people are apathetic to hunting. I think 70 80% of the population doesn't know much about it, could care less. Um, and unfortunately, through cartoons, animated movies, hunters have kind of gotten a bad rap. Um, and again, if we could just give the people the experiences from a pure perspective, one that's educated, and ethical, then those minds are going to start to change. Hunting has a really bad image right now. Yeah. It's improving vastly. But yeah, and there are also people who have never hunted before who don't come from hunting backgrounds who want to learn to hunt. And it's hard to break into. People think you, if you watch any social media, mainstream TV, things like that, you think you've got to have a lot of stuff to get going. And then just figuring out how to hunt and where to go here in Florida, Chase put together a hunting 101. I mean, I've hunted all my life. And when I moved here, it took me about five years to break the code on a quota. The difference between a quota and a daily quota, there's no way that tells you what those differences are. I, I didn't know. It took me a long time to break the code here. And that's why we really started this podcast is because, like I've said, if you're watching hunting television on, on TV, you would think it takes you, it, it takes a six-figure salary to go hunt. But hunting in reality... And, and every time you go out, you're going to kill a trophy animal. Right. You know? yeah. But hunting is a poor man's sport. That's that's where it got started. It, it's it a, was to provide food. It's a poor man sport in the United States, right? It's <laughs> elsewhere because I've I've lived and I've hunted a lot of places, but elsewhere it's not. And that back to public land advocacy. That's how you get into it because the way our model is set up is you don't have to be a rich man to go out. You don't have to have land or a lease you can go out to public land in your jeans and a plaid t-shirt plaid button up that's what we used to do mm -hmm. you know? yeah. here, here in america it's not the king's deer it's it's the animals are put in public trust and health Our for deer. everybody they're ours they're yours they're mine they're everybody's <laughs> how about how much it costs i was laughing with somebody the other day used to you just went fishing whatever clothes you had you know, and now oh, yeah. I saw an advertisement for the t-shirt, <laughs> tactical fishing shorts. You know, oh yeah, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing the, the stuff you need. But I'm, if you're interested in small game hunting for the for the price of a course, you can find a mentor. If you can find a mentor, you can get a, a used shotgun for hundred bucks. For two hundred bucks, you're out in the woods. You know, you're you're ready to go, you know, and you're just. Small game hunting is a fantastic thing. I'm a small game hunter at heart because I like to walk around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will, it's not unusual for me to go out and think, well, I'm just going to, you know, spend a lot. Next thing you know, I've done a seven mile loop. Deer and pigs Nothing. and Osceola. <laughs> deer and pigs and Osceola turkeys get all the, the glory, but, and give me an iron sided 22 and just let me creep through the creek bottoms. Head See, shooting, I'm not head a, shooting squirrels. I'm it's, not a 22 guy. I'm a 20 gauge guy. Uh, Give I, me a 20 gauge, and I will just my, wear them. I got my, a my backup shot 410 that is my favorite gun to hunt with. My backup is a single shot. I actually shot, shot a turkey yeah. this year with my mom's 1973 Ithaca 
Model sixty six uh, single yeah. shot four ten. Nice. I actually hunt. I actually hunt mostly hunt squirrels with my wife's Ithaca twenty gauge. <laughs> I have a twelve gauge. Oh, That's a little. No, too much. twenty gauge is the ultimate squirrel killer. Although Chase will argue it's a sixteen. It's a 16. <laughs> 16. Listen, for anybody who's out there looking for the perfect squirrel uh, shotgun. Can you get a poll going on Facebook? <laughs> no. I don't care what you say. A 16 gauge with a full choke and light loads of seven and a half will kill a squirrel beyond what you need to ethically be shooting at one. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you this, though. 16 gauge might do it. But can I go to Walmart and buy 16 gauge shells? You only need... <laughs> a, 20, a, 20, a 20 round box of shells will get you 20 squirrels so. for what it's worth we went to the uh, world champion squirrel cook off last year and competed and they gave away a 20 gauge so you know, I think Adam I has think you're outnumbered I know you can't talk about it here and give away what the plan is but you're going to take it next year right I was going to take it this year but they cancelled it ooh but but if you think everybody asks how do you get into hunting in Florida and that small game is a perfect way, what else is better than just walking around a wildlife management area? That's the best way that you're going to figure out besides that's, that's your scouting besides e scouting that yeah. that walking that management area, searching for squirrels, searching for whatever else is in there that 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 is legal to take during small game season. That's a perfect way to explore that wildlife management area. Yes. Well, small game I, will, is. I will say this about our small game hunts that we, if you go to our Facebook page and look at the events coming up, if, if you reach, if you have never hunted before and you don't even have a firearm, somebody from BHA will loan you a firearm for that hunt. Just reach out to us, contact us. We'll go with you, carry you. Be your gun bearer if you want. I mean, we're, we're it's, it's a lot of fun to take somebody who's never been before. Oh, yeah. Same goes for us here at Unpressure Outdoors. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you guys want to do, if you want to get out there and you want to hunt ducks, you want to hunt deer, you want to hunt squirrels, i got guns. I'll lend you guns. We'll help you get a hunting license. Yeah. We'll take you out there and put you... I can't guarantee you success, <laughs> but I will get you in the woods and we'll yeah, get we, you hunting. We'll guarantee yeah. you a good time. And, yeah. and, yeah. and <laughs> what, what, what better way to get to introduce a child to hunting, too, is small game and duck... Well... Small game hunting is there's a lot more action than just sitting in a in a tree stand or a ground or a blind and just waiting. I mean, some blinds with leases, all you got to do for a while there, you just got to sit and watch deer walk by well, before you can... wait for the feeder to come on. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I I've hunted leases in Georgia my entire life, but I have never been blessed with one of those spots where you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna go sit over here and kill yeah. a deer. Yeah, you know, no. it's like, well. <clears throat> We're going to try this spot. You're Hopefully not, that works. You're not yeah. paying enough for the lease. Right. <laughs> how, much was that, how much was that lease you saw the other day in Florida? Uh, there's one that's uh, down in uh, Osceola County. They get pretty good, pretty close to, uh, I think one was eight. I think last year I've seen one for a lot more. 11,000? Yeah, I think there was <laughs> oh, one yeah. for 11,000. 10, 12, that's, yeah, that's about, about uncommon. A grand but, a month. But it's, I know, it's a mortgage. I know that... Uh, <laughs> They've I, they've taken some big deer out of those areas. That they had that. They shot a couple of nice big ones last year. That and we typically we have typically leased land in Georgia, but the trade off is is that the hunting license is three hundred and forty dollars yeah. for an yeah. annual out that's, of state. That's, I mean, you can't I, beat the sportsman's gold license here for I, yeah, uh, bucks. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a retired military. My sportsman's gold license is twenty dollars. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. In in. 
Uh, and I'm not. Did I'm not. Years. <laughs> <laughs> and and I hope that doesn't come across as bad as talking. We're talking bad about private hunt, private land hunting, or or leases. I have I have no problem with it. I mean, uh, like I said, I hunt. We have leases. BHA members that have leases yeah. and hunt, hunt yeah. them, but they still I, feel strongly about public. I go every every year for Thanksgiving. I go up to North Carolina and I hunt a, hunt a, because I mean. Usually I, I'm able to take that time off from work, and that's when my kids are off too. And I mean, take them up, they get to hang out with grandma and grandpa, and then uh, they get to hunt with me and in my in their grandfather. I mean, now un- unfortunately, I think my I have to work R three with my daughter because she <laughs> she saw, shot such a big deer that she's like, I'm done. I don't have to hunt anymore. My <laughs> Is she mentoring you now, Scott? <laughs> that, that's what. And the, the funny thing is, we were sitting Thanksgiving dinner, and and my son brought that up. He said, "Well, he goes, I guess, I guess my sister's done." But uh, he goes, "The good thing about me shooting the smaller deer is I just have I have more years to try to beat that deer." To, so. <laughs> right. And you know, the one thing I've enjoyed about leasing land the most is not so much the abundance of deer because we leased the lease. We had a lease in South Georgia for two years. Oh, man, we literally never place. saw a deer from and, the tree stand. And, and I've joined a lease one, like that. I've seen one from the tree stand. Two yeah. years, but the exclusiveness of it, knowing that if you're there and I don't know you, you're not supposed to be there. Is the only thing. But of course, at the same time, the lease where we hunted, where we never saw deer, we paid. Was it three hundred and forty dollars a year a piece? Yeah, that? something like that. So it was cheap. Yeah, and land can be leased cheap. And had we probably put in a whole lot more work than we did, and hunted a whole lot more than we did, we probably could have killed deer because we had good deer on camera. And the leases around us killed some absolutely absolute monsters, um, but it just wasn't us. We weren't yeah. that lucky. Yeah. Did kill plenty of pigs off they, of it. One they, of the guys uh, did, but they told us all the time. The dog ran one right across there. Yeah, but was I sitting in the yeah, stand? Well, <laughs> Should have yeah. been here yesterday. Yeah, yeah. No. Been here yesterday. we were we were a two hundred acre still hunt lease, surrounded by a ten thousand acre dog hunt lease, and yeah. those were some. They were great guys. I mean, they we were. we uh, actually paid them a little over a hundred dollars a year to leave our camper in their camp area on their yeah. list because they had power and water and we didn't and yeah. that's what we wanted if we're going to drive four hours up you there know, i think the public's perception of dog hunters for the most part is that's kind of bad but dog hunters are really mostly very conscientious people you know all the the mandatory gps tracking and all that stuff that was all brought on by themselves so very guys love their dogs you know and they're you know they're very family oriented Oh, uh, that, they have that the whole family out there. 35, well, that 35, they had 35 members on 10,000 acres. And there wasn't a night we went up there that they weren't, hey, mama's in there, going to start cooking at 3 o'clock. Make sure you're here at 7 because dinner's going to be ready. And there's a Thanksgiving spread for 35 people yeah. sitting underneath the porch. Mm-hmm. We're always in there just having a good time. The camaraderie of all those people together was great. And uh, they, they did a really good job of managing their deer. Uh, there was, they were, you weren't going to go on that lease and kill the first brown thing that walked out. If you were, you were gone. That was it. Uh, the guy that ran that club was an awesome dude, and they, they ran a really tight ship, and they did a really good job. And I really admired how well they did. Because I, I grew up uh, running dogs with friends in Ocala National yeah. Forest. And I love doing it. I mean, that combines the Rednecks' two favorite sports, <laughs> hunting and NASCAR. I mean, you can't beat it. Yeah. Um, 
But it's just not my thing. I don't want to feed all those hounds all year long. Yeah. You know um, what? You, you said something that made me th- think of something. When the, all the, the stewardship that those guys have, and that's one of the things BHA tries to promote, is the stewardship. We all own that land. So we, that is all ours. You know, so take, take care of it. Treat it like it's yours. You know, just get out there, and it's in yours to enjoy. Don't abuse it. There for all of us. I, it, it, and I think that's that's a good that that's a good point because there you forget sometimes you forget about and uh, what made me realize is how much and this is nationwide how much public land we actually have with whether it be uh, national forest state forest BLM land anything and uh, what what you forget about it what made me remember is there's the gentleman at. Uh, the fort in uh, St. Augustine, Castillo de San Marcos, one of the rangers there actually, in part of his speech, he talks about how many national parks there are, how much how much public land is in the United States. And, and, he, and I remember him ex- explicitly telling people, this is your land too. This is not one single person owns this. This is for everybody, for all Americans. A lot of people like to look at public land. That's, I haven't seen it so much in Florida, but I have seen it on a nationwide scale. But I like to see it as the federal government shouldn't own land. Government shouldn't own land. It should all be in private hands. Um, I've seen references to the royal forests of, you know, Nottingham and Robin Hood days. It's, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not the royal forest because the king isn't telling you you can't go on that land and shoot a deer. It's open for you. The government doesn't own it. They just manage it they for just, us. They just manage sure. it. And, nobody, and nobody's knocking private, manage, private landowners. Private land management is extremely important, especially in uh, you know, the southeast where most of our land is private. But it only takes one bad year for the landowner to sell out from under you or mm-hmm. for you to lose it because you made a mistake or for them to decide they don't want you on there anymore. And I can't tell you... Yeah, it's up until the current lease we have now, where my dad is at, where he leases from a, a longtime friend, and they he's working on co ownership with him. But I, I think the longest running lease we had was probably twelve years, and then land gets sold, uh, and that would happen. You know, we'd come up like, "Are we ready to pay the lease?" Sorry, we sold it. And then now, now you're 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 screwed. You're, yeah. you're having to try and find somewhere else to go. Pick up all your stuff, pull it all down, take it somewhere else. Um. So yeah, you do lose that. Like you said, it only takes one bad year or a death in the family. And now you're you're looking at the guy who used to own the property. He died, and now it it goes to his siblings, and they don't want to manage it that way anymore. They just want to get rid of it, and now it's gone. But the public land, we, we've got to keep that. The public land is important because that doesn't happen as easily. It still does happen. Um, and a lot of state-owned public land tends to go that way. Uh, a great example of that is Texas. You can't hardly find a stitch of, of public land in Texas because it's all been bought out by ranches and oil fields and everything else. It's all private land. And at one point, that was all state land but it gets sold out to to make money and push the state out of the red and black in, back into the black 
And we have to, as stewards of the land, maintain that. We have to keep those roadways clean. We've got to keep up with that stuff because that's all money the state's going to spend otherwise. And then that is going to look negative to them. They're going to say, well, we have to spend all this money to clean it and all this other stuff. If we would just sell it, we wouldn't have to do that anymore. And so it's up to us as sportsmen and women to get out there and, and take care of that ourselves. Because nobody else is going to do it for us. They have to. It's going to cost. Right. In one way or another. In one way or another. Whether it's license increases or the, the land just disappearing altogether. Because it's not, it's not very often anymore that you hear about the state. I mean, Florida's done a good job here recently of buying more public land. Uh, but you don't hear about that. No, very, very few. Yeah. Like, um, where was it? Up in the Panhandle, I know they there. I saw a story. Because um, we last time we went to St. Vincent, we were driving up through there. And you saw the for sale signs on a lot of that land. And then I know um, uh, the floor, is it Florida Florida Forever that they use, they purchased that land. They purchased something like almost, uh, I think, 27,000 acres up in the panhandle that was going to be, uh, I think, homes and several other places that, of land that the state has uh, purchased this last year. Um, I'm trying to remember numbers here. Um, I know Ducks Unlimited just went in with uh, FWC for a bunch of wetlands. I can't remember where. It's been a few months. It was this year, I think. That that had happened, I, I don't remember. I can, like I said, I can't remember off the top of my head where all that was. But I know Ducks Unlimited bought a bunch of wetlands. Well, with FWC, state of Florida, they all went, and that was just this year. I can't remember where exactly that was. And then, and I know there's a couple other tracts of land that they trying to um, maintain the corridor. So, uh, yeah. so I know they they've been buying quite a bit. I can't. There's so many articles pop up of the different areas that they've been purchased, where they purchase land. So we've got here, talk about volunteerism and what we can do. The FWC itself has tabs on their website where you can get out there and volunteer to pick up trash on the beaches. I'll do all kinds of other neat stuff. And in turn, you get out there with the wildlife biologists, you learn some cool stuff and stuff like that. But what... What kind of volunteer programs do you guys put out? A lot of ours are going to focus around um, getting out and getting to the FWC meetings, uh, trash cleanups. I think we've got a citrus coming up this season. There's going to be God, a, there's, there's so many. There's a so lot. Florida that, has mm -hmm. probably if you if you go go to the BHA National BHA website and look at events near you, there are probably more events in Florida planned right now. Probably the rest of the country combined. But we do have a couple combinations, yeah. small game and trash cleanups. And that's that goes that goes so far. You know? You just show up to an FWC meeting as a hunter and just be there and know that goes real far. Uh just doing your part. That helps. Not I mean not even uh I not even FWC, there's all the water management districts. They usually have public meetings. I know South Florida Water Management District has the RAC RAC meeting where uh, recreational anglers or recreational hunter people, not just hunters and fishermen, I'm sorry, uh, hikers, horse people, uh, all those, they want recreational people to, to show up. And I know uh, they had one recently on the 
they had one recently another conference on on the phone over phone over the phone which was real good and i mean just get involved come out if you're a hunter or angler or it, it, just get involved come to the meetings uh eat, eat, and you don't always have to speak even if it's something telling telling the commissioners that hey uh, I don't have anything to say, but I think you're doing a good, a great job with what you've been doing. Uh, just here, listening, yeah. paying attention, yeah. and you, thank you for your. Yeah, Scott. sorry, Scott. You said something that's really important. You talk about water. You know, we're talking about land here a lot, but Florida, everything revolves around water. Swift mud. The, the water management districts really control, manage a good bit of what happens here. And, it, and it's just be start coming out start start volunteering your time start if you can i i mean i understand the meet usually fwc meetings are during their a wednesday thursday i know it's a lot it's hard for not everybody's uh, i mean i i'm been blessed with a 12-hour shift i only work about 15 days a month so it gives me <laughs> it gives me plenty of time to volunteer and it, but I mean, we as hunters and anglers, we need your help. There's only there's so much conservation stuff that, that it's it's the same people the the Travis like I said the Travis Thompsons the Chucks the Mike Elfs the Newton Cooks people like that. It's there they they need help. They need more people involved to show, or all of us need more people involved to show that what we're doing is worth it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and to touch back on the R3 for a minute, I, I believe when that started, it, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was more of take from the left and bring to the right. But I think we should be more focused on, in today's day and age, from pulling from the middle the pull to the right. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people on the left. You're never going to sway their opinion. Right. That, that that would be like convincing me not to hunt, and and it's just not going to happen. Um, I think the best thing we can do is is provide the best public image through our conservation actions, through our education on scientific matters. And you know, when you're talking about hunting in the bar with your buddies, people are listening. They're listening to how you talk about it, what you say, and just Keep that in your mind that, you know, animals and nature and wildlife should be respected. Um, and it's in most of the community, 98% of the hunters I know, that the heck out of it. But well, yeah, I mean, it would, that element that's always going to be there. Like, like for me, like most of my hunting is done with a traditional bow, you know, longbow shooter. And I admire you. And, and I'm not, well, no, no, no. But, okay, I, I didn't say I'm a great harvester. I'm a great hunter. I'm, I'm a naturalist at heart. But if you want to immerse yourself in the natural world and be part of it, you know, you learn about an animal, you learn about its habitat or whatever. Being able to harvest, kill, whatever that animal, and consume it is really kind of the... the, the the ultimate expression of being part of that cycle, being part of that thing. For me, it's a, I've always been, I've always been a hunter. I'm, I was hunting the whole time on the way over here. We're talking, I said, there, find it. I, said, I bet that pond right there, I said, nobody's ever stopped there. I bet you couldn't throw a bait in there. You know, I mean, I'm always doing it. And it, and it 
think it's just a part of it. It's, it's a way to immerse yourself in the natural world. I mean, personally, I, I always know what phase the moon is in, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. I'm always mm-hmm. about all of that, you know, what the birds are doing in my backyard, that kind of stuff. Always. That's just, that's just an, an extension of it that takes it just a little bit farther. You can, especially as a traditional bow hunter, you can get that close to an animal to kill it, and it, they don't know you're there, and they, 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 they don't even know what happened to them. You know? <laughs> it's, just, it's really an incredible way to part of it. In, in touching on R3, could you imagine if the pandemic started during deer season? Uh, how many people would be in the woods especially that's with that, great i mean it'd be great but <laughs> especially with how empty the the, the shelves were uh, at the grocery store I tell you what i've had more people ask me since this all started wanting to learn than i have in the past five years combined what did they say uh, i know tennessee because i know some of the guys in the tennessee chapter i think it was the highest number of uh of hunters they've had out during the turkey season this year. Something like 40,000 turkeys yeah. killed. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be terrible on the turkey population next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, already, they're already having a hard time as it is, you know. <laughs> and then look at, uh, go, go back to uh, what, I mean, that's the only reason I can think what I think uh, Ann Nance wrote an article about it in the Lakeland Ledger about the alligator hunters that there were something like. 16,000 people applied for alligator tags. I think it was like he said somewhere in a 20% increase this year of how many Jeez. people actually apply for, for alligator tags this year. Yeah, Hopefully and gator season has of right now been in for an hour and 39 minutes. I know. I, I wish everybody that's out there this week are, are a you, lot of luck, except you going for. after this? Yeah, I'm heading straight to Puzzle League. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out in the morning. Clock is ticking. Clock is I'll be out in the morning. I, I, look, yeah. Mine starts next week, and I'm kind of. I, I wish everybody safe and everybody has good luck, except for the guy who has my leg this week. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Some small alligators. Yeah, we, 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 we've been scouting a couple that are. I was actually out out last night with our partners at Warriors Quest, and uh, we were filming some B-roll footage uh, and doing a little scouting on our the area where we intend to go. And they're actually out tonight um, with another veteran, and they're getting him out there, and they're going to try and snag a gator. And then I'll be back out there in the morning with those guys, and you'll be able to actually go on Sportsman's Channel next year and, and watch us go out there and, and get some gators. Chase is our Armed Forces Initiative. Coordinator just started, so yeah. So I can talk about that for a second. It's a brand new program started by BHA National. Um, it's a effort to get vets in active duty out in front. Um, not only in getting them out in the outdoors, but also to get them. still pretty new we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do uh me personally what i'm i'm going to try to head up some uh some hunter ed classes i'm working on getting my certification but we're also looking for uh, any active especially active duty if you want to start a, a group on your base out of military active tired in florida i'm on mcdill a lot of dudes out there you're hunting fish but not See in this groove, and I'd and that was one of the some of the best hunting I've ever done in my life was when I was in the military. 
I was blessed to be stationed at Fort Campbell for five years, five glorious years of hunting (laughs) in Kentucky and Tennessee, and there are some absolute monster whitetails up there. I kick myself every day for not Fort Riley. That that you hear some of the other podcasts that I listen to, and they have some they have active duty military people, and they talk about some of the some of the areas that they can hunt on base. That I, I and that's the thing I I didn't know a lot when I um, was in the Marine Corps. I didn't know a lot about public land, and I wish I would have because there's there was a lot of public land in, in Camp Lejeune that I could I've seen a couple of the maps now. I'm like that I didn't know about this when it. It probably would have been a lot cheaper than what we were doing when we were in the Marine Corps. And the majority <laughs> of the majority of military bases are open to the general public as well, uh, with some stipulations. I know when I hunted on Fort Campbell, uh, active duty military and retirees got first preference. Uh, there was a, and it's since changed uh, since I first started hunting there. But there was a call-in system. You had they would give a list out uh, ahead of time, and you had training areas that were going to be open to hunt. And you could call in to reserve your training area on Thursday for Saturday and then Friday for Sunday. So you'd look at your list. It would come out on Wednesday. You know, I've scouted these areas. This is where I want to go. Uh, and then you're going to call in at 8 o'clock or at, at, maybe it was, I want to say it started just after PT. So it had to be 8 o'clock that you could call in. And opening weekend, it was not uncommon for me to call 250 times before I got through. I actually downloaded an app on my phone, a redialer app, that every time it hit a busy signal, it would hang up and redial the same number. <laughs> because that was the best way to get through to get the areas I wanted. Yeah. So, but those, and then at nine o'clock, it would open up to DOD civilians, and then 9 30 to open up to the general public. And you, everybody could go in and purchase that. And just because you didn't get the same area I got, I was told by an old timer that had. Hunted Fort Campbell his entire life that every training area on Fort Campbell held 170 inch deer. And I believe it. Because some of the deer I saw, and I, I missed. I've killed some of the biggest deer I've, I've ever killed in my life on Fort Campbell, but I missed deer way bigger. The real big ones are down in the impact area where you can't go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the one that I killed that was that was easily one of the biggest deer I've ever killed in my life, a nice 13 point I shot in Fort Campbell. I walked two miles from where I parked, two and a half wow. miles, and I was literally. I, where I sat, I could look to my left and see the fence to the impact area. Yeah. And I waited on him to come, you know, onto that training area. I hunted those training areas right around the impact area and the ranges and stuff like that. Yeah. There's monsters in there. <clears throat> I know Eglin has a pretty big range that they allow the public on. Avon Park does too. Uh, over With in a Frost small, fee, small fee, I think it's like yeah. three hundred or four hundred. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. also a military only section Avon yes, Park. Yes, correct. I don't yeah. recommend it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that big. Not honestly. worth driving all range. Not worth driving. But it is. It. I. I've heard a couple of people say good things about Avon Park. That besides anybody can go in there. I think it, it's uh, for uh, active duty. It's it's free. And then it's a couple uh, hundred dollars a year for a regular civilian. Hmm. Civilian side for active duty. Yeah, and see, you go up to like Fort Stewart uh, in around Savannah, Georgia, and it's not nearly that much, 40 or 50 bucks for the year, where it costs active duty $25, $30. And that was the same way at Fort Campbell. You just buying that permit, and you're using that permit number to sign into areas and things like that. Eglin is also very cheap. Avon Park's kind of the exception to the. 
But some of those those areas are very well like in southeast Georgia, Fort Stewart is a place to be because Fort Fort Stewart is the largest army base this side of the Mississippi. And the whole west side of Fort Stewart is trophy managed. You don't see near as many bucks on that side, but the bucks you do see are of a far better caliber than you see on the on the So you get out there and that's four hours from here. Uh, granted, it's going to cost you a $300 license to go hunt in Georgia, but that's, again, public land. Plenty of hotels right outside Fort Stewart and Hinesville. Campgrounds, you can go up there and camp in the campground on Fort Stewart. And then go out like hunt I Fort did Stewart. The first year we had that, Georgia sleeping in the truck. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about water in Florida, and, you know, I do a lot of my whitetail hunting on, on private land, but... Duck hunting and anything else is all public land down here in Florida, and I, I think that Florida gets a, a bad rap for duck hunting, and I really shouldn't say it, but that bad. I mean, you can find some, some good spots down here. You're not going to go out and kill what you're killing in the Mississippi Flyway or in the Central Flyway, but I, I love shooting good. black belly whistlers. Yeah, we have a good variety here. Well, yeah. ducks taste pretty good. <laughs> and... You'll find ducks here in Florida you can't find anywhere else. The model duck. And the black belly whistler is expanding its range quite a can bit. You shoot, but, yeah. Can you shoot harlequin ducks here? I, 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 I was watching some Facebook posts and I couldn't tell. I think they're, uh, aren't they? Uh, couldn't harlequins tell. Harlequins? They're, yeah. uh, they're uh, Not those scobies. Yeah, no, there's, there's something there was. You think of mandarin? There's some pretty awesome yeah, ducks. Yeah, duck. I'm sorry. There's, there's some pretty duck. awesome ducks. Oh, Harlequins are out. Oh, yeah, that's Alaska. Alaska right? That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, <laughs> if you went to SeaWorld, yeah. uh, they've got a quite a variety at SeaWorld. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. But I, yes, I, I had, I had seen. Yeah. I didn't know a lot. Not to get a... But uh, harlequins, I've never, I didn't realize how absolutely beautiful those ducks are they, until I watched them. Um, uh, Donnie Vincent did a video on YouTube, uh, what, uh, wins at ADAC, where he went to ADAC Island in Alaska to hunt caribou. And, uh, they, uh, the weather was bad, so they couldn't get to where he wanted. So they did some, uh, they hunted harlequins and wow, what a beautiful, beautiful Are you saying duck. them Scooby Ducks ugly? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard they eat good. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, the two kinds of culinary ducks are the Peking or the Long Island duck and the Muscovy duck. So if you're eating a duck in a restaurant, it's one of them. And you go into any industrial park with a gentry pond, you can find plenty of Muscovies. Yeah, they're actually uh, invasive here. They are absolutely ugly as all get out. One but, flew over my house and I thought I was being... <laughs> they're huge but they are huge yeah. oh my god yeah yeah I knew a guy here that would do a base of Muscovy removal take them to the processor and that that's a whole up. he would get uh, contracts from apartment complexes and neighborhoods and stuff so if you really want to dig into I mean and that's a whole nother subject that could probably take hours of another podcast is invasives. We haven't even touched on it. Yeah, all means flora and fauna. We have got we've got time. If you got time, we've got time. And I have no problem touching on invasives. And the the something that you speak about ducks and invasives, a lot of people don't realize is the mallard duck here in the state of Florida is actually considered an invasive species. Yeah, I think the resident FWC the resident gives out a yeah. feral mallard permit 
in the springtime, I think you're allowed 10,000 birds and 12,000 eggs by any lethal means. The last I checked into it, which was about seven or eight years is ago. Is that anywhere? Push out the model, though. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that a lot, of people, a lot of people, I say people, golf courses, will buy those ducks because they're pretty. Right, and they'll stay there on the golf courses and, and things of that nature. So your your resident mallards outside of duck season, they're considered invasive. During duck season, they're they're just a limit, just like anything else. Um, but you have those mallards; they'll breed anything they can get underneath them. Oh yeah, see, anybody who's ever watched see a, duck a duck looks like, breed, man, it it's a bad paint job on that duck right there. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. They are pushing out and yeah. diluting the genes of the model duck. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really hard to tell the difference in a, in a model duck and a, in a hen mallard on the wing. Uh, yeah. But it's getting even harder with the hybrids of all these people buying mallards and putting them in their ponds behind their house and that bucket biology. Yeah. So, but Florida is, is riddled with invasive, not just invasive animals, but invasive plants. And I, I, I was going to say, I've mentioned this several times. You know, we're talking about like DHA in Florida. DHA is a primarily a Western thing. Florida is probably the most unique state in the United States, with maybe maybe Hawaii. Okay, but it's, it's a little different. But even Alaska, Florida is the most unique state. Has its own unique issues and concerns in any other state. I think the estuaries here by species are some of the most biodiverse places on the planet. Oh, and then you've got the, you know, the Everglades itself, which is a unique ecosystem. Have you seen any of the videos on some of the invasives there? They, I think in the last two months they've caught two 17-foot pythons down in South Ooh. Florida that uh, one young lady did. And then um, what's his name? Uh, the uh, his, I think his name on uh, Instagram is Python Cowboy or something. It's the Martin County Trapper down there. I, I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but I've been watching a lot of his stuff. And uh, he's been going through in uh, green iguanas. That's been – he's been uh, – putting a hurting on them i know down in south florida they have a big python well we have a python, huge python problem green iguana problem all kinds of and not just invasive lionfish. animals yeah lionfish we have invasive plants too the snakeheads as well yeah mm -hmm. oh, my, my sister used to cichlids live. african cichlids i know in south florida some of the waters waters down there and those they they compete against the uh native flora flora and fauna in the state and the the iguanas are becoming ever ever more popular to hunt as an invasive go down to broward county kicking them out of the way yeah, go down that's, that's, that's what i always remember every time we go to key west that one time we were going to three our uh, key west three years in a row and it seemed like the big iguanas were always in the same place every year you know they're <laughs> big where they they their they their tails start to turn orange and stuff like that <laughs> so yeah. big the state's got some big iguanas here. I would so. love to get down there and shoot some iguanas. I heard they taste really good. That's the yeah. thing. Anybody, anything that tastes good, you know, there's, when I look at it, if there's a limit on it, it probably tasted good to somebody at some point in this <laughs> That's and, why I think manatees don't taste good. Because I don't know how early settlers in Florida didn't wipe those things out. 
think they came close. They came close. close. Yeah. That's yeah. why we can't eat them now. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't get away. Yeah, yeah. Everything I've heard is they taste pretty good. good. And there was a reason why they called yeah. them sea cows. <laughs> I mean, a tilapia tastes good. I don't see why manatee wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another invasive. Tilapia? tilapia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love bow fishing for tilapia. Yeah. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. We were just in uh, the Glen last night, and I have never seen so many needlefish. That's another big thing we've got a, a problem. We've got a saltwater intrusion. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was hearing stories of guys catching big snook, like slot limit snook and hoop nets in the St. John's, and, you know, throwing them back. But those fish. Shouldn't be that far in there. You you can get behind a shrimp boat on Lake George and catch redfish and snook all day. How how far inland are we? From the Alfire River there. Man, it's way back in there. But I've seen jacks. I've seen snook. I've there's seen redfish. There's three foot snook in this water that a guy with a good run could jump across. I don't know how they got back in there and they're not getting out. Yeah, it's way back in they're there. They're way back in there. Saltwater intrusion is becoming a, a very big thing here, and it's not something that gets talked about a lot. And I wish I had more notes on it, but that that's something that is going to become a problem here in the next 20 years, a big problem in the next 20 years. And I don't know what we're going to do about it, but mm. it's there. I mean, you, you looked, there was a time when we talked about doing the, the cross Florida barge canal and you have now it stopped halfway through, yeah. but that would have been terrible for the Oklahoma and, and the St. John's and all that. I understand the, developmental process of thinking is, is, is putting it there because Florida really sticks out in the way of getting to getting oil out of Texas yeah. and everything else, you know, but we are, we have to be very careful about how we develop this state because we have such a fragile ecosystem here. The Corps engineers in the Kissimmee river dredging, straightened it. I didn't want didn't let the water flow. <laughs> Now, now they're trying to put it back. It. Yep. Trying to it's it's it. amazing how they, they how hard it is to put it back in its natural riverbed. So why I live show? I think I watched one of the FWC things where they had it almost ready to go. Hurricane came through, wiped out all the work they'd done. Yeah, it's something else. Population the environment sounds like a good idea at first. Florida is such an awesome and diverse state. There's no other state where you can literally hunt whitetail deer from August to March. Well, it starts so soon. Yeah. It's yeah. You, yeah. It, it, I'm a granted, you can't hunt from August to March on the same piece of property. You have to move from South Florida all the way up into the eastern or the central time zone panhandle. Right, right. Um, but you can get out there and literally hunt whitetail deer. I don't know why you'd want to be in the woods in August. Uh, oh, my hat's off to them guys right now in yeah. South Florida. Them South Florida guys impressed me because I uh, I don't think I could do it, honestly. <laughs> That's why nobody from Florida is ever going to win hike to hunt. You know what? <laughs> it takes place in July and all. I'll tell you this. If you, if you come down here and you want to hunt with one of this, us guys here in Florida, as I can guarantee you will kill something. It, it, it might be a mosquito, mosquito. but you're going to kill something. <laughs> Chicks. Yeah, I harvested more ticks last year than I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> That's uh, our, our uh, South South Florida Vice Chair Richard uh, Martinez. He was uh, hunting last weekend during archery season. I, I, I mean, my hats off to him. Yeah, he, uh, he thoroughly impresses me with his 
drive to uh, hunt deer in uh, August in South Florida. It, yeah, something dry, else. yeah, drive is a good word for that yeah. because you have to love, really love getting out hunting deer to get out in that heat and do that. You gotta get Richard on and talk turkeys. Yeah, he's a he's okay. Oh, Richard, he, he can kill a turkey. Yeah, Richard, he uh, loves Osceola turkeys. That's his uh, his. I think what in some a couple others didn't he go? He went uh, to what is it, Kansas this year? Yeah, or? But, but last year, Florida. He limited out in two days. Yeah. 30 minutes after sunrise, both days. Because he, he does a scout. You see, turkeys are the bane of my existence. (laughs) (laughs) I have not been successful, and I managed to luck out one time and actually get drawn for a guided turkey hunt on Fort Campbell and still didn't kill a turkey. (laughs) Still didn't kill a turkey. But it always seems every year he's he's coming. Last year we had a, a gobbler that was just steady, last not last year, but the year before. Steady coming to us on some public land in Georgia. And he was, I was like, we're, we're good. I'm just going to shut up. He's moving. He, he's coming here. Whether, whether we're going to call him here or not, he's coming this direction. And he couldn't have been more than 100 yards out. Here, I hear a pickup truck coming. going <laughs> to screw this up for me right now. Yeah. Sure enough, I hear him stop right where my truck was parked, four or 500 yards from where I'm at. Shut the truck off. Wham! Slam the door. Start mm-hmm. calling. <laughs> <laughs> And then he, when he slammed the door and, he, and the, the turkey gobbled back, he fired up the truck and the turkey turned and went the other direction. And, but that's just public land. I mean, you win some, you lose some. But it's, it's fun nonetheless, and I still try every year. But I have not been successful yet. I've come close. <laughs> I have shot at one. I, we had, I had Seminole Ranch this year for a quota. I don't think I, I, saw, I saw a turkey... I think we saw like a track or two. That was about it. Me and my son sat out there getting, even with the thermocell, the mosquitoes <laughs> were still eating us up. You know, the thermocell worked great when it first came out, but I think now it's bred thermocell resistant mosquitoes. Yeah. yeah. My, my turkey hunt story this year um, got, got in there early, walked up. I saw a lot of turkey signs, saw a lot of turkeys prior to the season. Now, I'll tell you how my season started off. The first day I walked in there and went to where I was going to go. Really early in the morning, so I laid down, catch a little nap. Sun starts coming up. I wake up. I'm laying in a poison ivy. And 30 yards away, some guy starts calling. (laughs) 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 He came in there while I was asleep and sat up right next to me. So what separates backcountry hunters and anglers from other nonprofit organizations that are out there hunting communities? I guess you could say that we're our our primary mission is public lands, public waters. That we're not um, that we s- try to stick to that those issues. We're not species specific. Yes, we're not species. I guess you could say species. Yeah, I'd say most of the guys in BHA I know hunt just just about everything. There's yeah. not one thing. It's, oh, we're going out for this season. We're going out for this season. We're going to catch this. We're going to hunt this, and they're they're just. Very active in the outdoors. A lot, of, general, a lot of generalists. A yeah. lot of generalists. So hunting anything, so. anywhere. <laughs> I, uh, or fish for anything. Because I, I, I don't want to sit here. I, I would, I never, I would never badmouth another, uh, another hunting organization or, or nonprofit. I don't see a 
I don't see it being constructive. I mean, I, I'm a member of BHA. I have my, uh, I'm a member of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and I'm two uh, percent uh, for conservation. I'm a member of. Um, there's a couple others that, I, and if I had more money, I would join a whole bunch of them. I would join everyone I could. I mean, after a while, that twenty-five or thirty-five dollars starts to add up quite a bit. But I, <clears throat> I don't. There's, there's. Uh, we try to stick to the public lands, public land stuff. Um, I know the black bear is a hunting, the black bear issue is a hunting issue in Florida, but mostly mainly public lands, public waters. It, so, I apologize, I'm rambling. No, that's <laughs> okay. That's right. You summed it up very well. It is, it's all about public lands and about access. There are a lot of places here, and Chase and I have talked about this a lot of times. There's several WMAs that we, we frequent, and we're like, why is, is it small game walk-in only? Why is it only Saturday and Sunday? Why can't I go? Am I, how many people are going to be in there disrupting you know, or tramping all over the place on a Wednesday, right. tramping around for squirrels, or if it's archery hogs, you know, something like that, especially if hogs are an invasive species? Um, like, Granted, I understand you got to let the land rest, but there's a, probably a lot of places where if it's walk-in only, we should, could be able to expand opportunity. A lot of different places. I, I guess well, another thing in, instead of, I mean, of course you haven't seen a lot of them this year because we're kind of, our hands are tied of what kind of events we can do, but a, a lot of a lot of smaller, eat, now you see some of these other uh, nonprofits do uh big banquets and stuff like that we do we try to do a lot of pint nights we do a lot of pint nights meeting at some of the local breweries i think last year we were doing two a month i mean it's been a little been a little difficult with uh the covid so we haven't really been able to schedule any events or or if so i mean half the breweries you can't get into right now with uh what's going on so um So what drew yeah, yeah. you guys to BHA? For me, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I came in kind of sideways. My experience, like we, we talked about, and I've been a hunter my entire life. The hunters that get a lot of the press, it's not good press. So, but I was a fan of Stephen Ranella back when he had his uh, show, The Wild Within. He was down in South America hunting with these guys, and he was trying to impress them. He took a shot at a uh, curacao or some, some bird too far away with his bow. And he wounded it, and they didn't catch it. They got away. You know, lost the animal. And he was then talking about that as part of the show. I shouldn't have taken that shot. I was only doing it to impress these guys. But I thought, you know what? I like this guy's ethics. You know, I mean, I appreciate, you know, a lot of folks that would not have made the show. So when he started talking about BHA, I thought, I'm going to look into that because I – want to get involved. I want to, you know, be, I, I, 99% of the time I'm hunting by myself. But when, when I started looking at a BHA and I thought, you know what, it was, I like their ethics. It's an ethical use. It's not, I don't want to disparage any other type, anybody's type of hunting style or their outlook on it or what. For me, it was all about an organization that kind of had the same Outlook on 
land, uh, the resource, whether it's fishes, fish, animals, whatever. So, so I just, I really wanted to get involved with that. I think it was like in, what did I say, two, early 2019, I started reaching out to BHA National. They, uh, about starting a chapter in Florida. And I didn't realize there was a Southeast chapter, or if, there, if I did, I didn't realize it encompassed Florida. So, um, and that's how I just eventually met a bunch of guys, and you know, we were active as Florida members of Southeast BHA. And we think it's time, you know, we've, uh, you can talk more about this, Scott, or uh, we'll put in our application for chapters, our own chapter separations, alluding because. Florida is very, very unique. It's nice. It'd be nice to be able to specialize on our issues that we enforcement here. But they say the only state you drive north to get south and south to get north. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, we have we have applied for uh, to become our own independent chapter. We're just waiting uh, waiting for the national board. Uh, we're waiting on a vote. So hopefully that will be coming soon. And once we're uh, once the national board votes in favor of it then be our own chapter and we'll start we'll, we'll start doing a lot more events unfortunately so a lot of besides the small game stuff a lot of them will most likely be virtual we'll have we'll try to do virtual pint stuff like that we're, we're trying we're working on figuring that out i know a lot of uh, a lot of the other chapters have been doing virtual pint nights so and then we have uh, Adam's been doing. Adam did a virtual uh, uh, squirrel. Uh, he yeah, does a, a live squirrel processing, skinning, and cooking event for national organization. And that was really, Which was really well received. It was great. I, I you know, I've never I, done never done anything like that. Never no, I imagined I'd be doing anything like the, that. The, but, uh, I, I thought you did a great job. I tried to do more of those. And I was watching, you know, the people who were tuning into that, how interested they were in it. You know, the process, you know, the actual. Yeah. And I guess to go back with, uh, that's another thing is um, different things that we want to do in Florida and what makes us different. I don't want to say makes us completely different. We want to do R3. We want to do a lot of educational stuff. Chase, Chase did a PowerPoint on uh, the quota system in, in, I'm not going to lie, when I first got down here, the quota system was pretty, pretty um, confusing where I would actually print off my calendar from work on my work days, print off a worksheet and have another piece of paper and go back and forth and see what weekends the hunts are if I'm off for that weekend and then try to figure out by the, the closest one. But uh, so a lot of we want to do push a lot of education in the state, uh, a lot of R3. Um but I guess what, what what brought me to BHA would probably be almost the same thing as uh, Steve is uh, I just happened to um, happened to start listening to podcasts again and started listening to or okay so I listened to Joe Rogan I started listening to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts and that he had a couple hunters on there so what I did is I went through his whole episode list downloaded all the podcasts with hunters on it and started hearing a couple started hearing steve ranella again i mean i used to watch meat eater quite a few years ago and then 
start i downloaded a bunch of steve a uh, bunch of the meat eater podcasts and then um so you hear uh hear Rennell and some of the other guys talking about bha so i said what's uh i need to to look into this so i started looking into it and then you had land who is the president i've seen uh and so uh also, Lantani is the president, so you he start to hear him on some of the podcasts. So I downloaded it on the i uh, on your iPhone in the um, podcast app. You can go by searching. So I would start searching names and bringing up those names. Start hearing a lot of listening to a lot of different podcasts involving BHA members and stuff like that. And I thought this seems like a, a great group. So I. Uh, I started looking for events that were in Florida and I noticed at the time they were doing from north to south they were doing quite a few events in the uh at the time Chad Rashar was our he was the southeast chair and had the chapter coordinator Josh Kaywood was uh doing a bunch of pint nights so I actually showed up and uh I talked to them all night and and learned more about BHA and stuff like that and realized that uh I'm uh I'm not a so they, I'm not a dog hunter. I'm not a airboat guy. I'm not a buggy guy. I'm not uh, different groups that didn't pertain to what I what I do. So I down here, BHA looked like the better one that I would like to join. I mean, right now I'm at. I I hunt a lot of public land. That's pretty much all my hunting. So why I figured it was a a good a good group to support, be part of. So, how can our members and listeners, how can they find BHA? What is the membership? Um, so, we have several different memberships. I had to write them all down because they're, so you have um, student military membership is $15 a month. Uh, a year. A year. I apologize. A year. Uh, individual membership is $35. You have family at 50, uh, individual three year is 80, um, and uh, family three years, $110 a year. And then they also have lifetime memberships. And I believe they start at a, at a thousand, about a thousand dollars for a lifetime membership. And they go up from there because I know there's several different packages. I think if you, you could do like the Kimber lifetime membership, uh, I haven't. I haven't actually looked in a while. They, they change. They, they, yes, they have several different lifetime memberships where you get you get a Traeger Stone Glacier, Stone Glacier stuff, all kinds of different yeah. uh, packages. And, and if you if you look at those packages, a lot of times if you were buying that gear, lifetime membership, it would cost more than a lifetime. What's What's neat about BHA as well? Like say say uh, you got your you paid your thirty five dollars. Okay, oh, now I'm going to do Hike to Hunt. That's $35, but it also includes a membership, so they tack a year on to the backside of your membership. I, I might as well be a lifetime member from all the stuff that I've, I've taken part in, where they keep tacking another year on. I, I, would, I don't really have to purchase another membership for some. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could talk about Hike to Hunt a little bit. <clears throat> oh, I'm in the top 25%. Right now on Hike to Hunt, which is not saying much. But no one from Florida is ever going to win Hike to Hunt because it takes place in July and August. It is brutal. Yeah. It is brutal <laughs> down here. It is brutal yeah, down here. And you've got guys who are out there. Um, 
it's primarily a uh, it's a fundraiser, but it's also the you know, hike to hunt to get in shape, whatever. Um, uh, but it's also. I know they changed it this year where it's it wasn't. I think I believe last year was where the prizes were for the most miles hiked and stuff like that. Now it's um, they have different. They've been doing different challenges. I know one was um, for uh, on the mapping where it was the most. Uh, it was you tried to to draw something by your hike, and I know uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Remy Warren. I remember he did. I think he had like a, a buck that he did. He walked the uh, outline of a deer <laughs> and a couple other people did <laughs> s- several different outlines. And but um, the, the only problem I have with it is you can't use it while you're scouting because it tracks your route. <laughs> where, where was this guy oh yeah yeah that's the spot but yeah uh hike to hunt is a yearly thing that uh bha does you uh i think how much was it forty dollars this year yeah, it's was 35 35 dollars you got this sweet t-shirt you get a t-shirt and you get entered into different um and you get another year membership and you you get another year membership and you get en- entered into random drawings and stuff like that and so, i actually donated my membership you can actually have the opportunity to gift your membership to somebody else so try and get that r3 thing you know so i, I gifted mine to a friend of mine who was, i wish that uh uh florida we had a uh a uh, hike to hunt handicap where we could do it between like January and February, <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. or you just, just get a, you know, miles. Like a, a degree of difficulty depending on. I mean, the but, but then again, how much, how much <laughs> weight you lose and sweat every time yeah. you go out. But but then again, I mean, uh, the other I mean, problem is I see where they're away. coming from because we live. I went to Montana recently, and we live here. What we live a hundred feet above sea level, and then I was going <laughs> from four thousand to six thousand. I'm like, God, yeah. goodness gracious! So it, it, each state has its own challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, the people out there, they're like mountain goats because I haven't climbed. A, I, yeah, I didn't have to hike a lot of hills. <laughs> so we're gonna go ahead and start wrapping this up. But before we do that, let's talk about what are you guys' favorite outdoor related activity. So if you, if you could only do one outdoor activity for the rest of your life, what would it be? Do I get to do it all year or just during the season? <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to say hunting. Yeah. And if you're going to go down specific, I'm going to say um, if squirrels were the size of Jack Russell Terriers, <laughs> I, yeah. I'd do nothing but squirrel hunt. No question. I'm I'm a creature of the northern latitudes, so I would be if I had to narrow it down to one species, it'd be ruffed grouse. But if I small game in the great white north, favorite grouse, snow bears. I think it would be woodcock. Actually, it would be. I would have to stick with hunting. Would be uh, the number one. I just enjoy. uh, I enjoy seeing the look on people's faces when they are exposed to something like that. And it's new to them. Just, I mean, the outdoors have brought me so much joy, not necessarily hunting, just being outside, watching the sunrise, hearing a sound I've never heard. And to take, my daughter's nine years old now, and just to see the look in her eyes when she experiences something new is priceless. So every time I get a chance to take someone out, that's never seen that, and maybe it's questionable about what Florida has to offer. 
I mean, if I could, if if I could not hunt and just be with other people that hunted, I'd be happy as long as I got to eat when we're all done. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say that mine would would definitely be hunting. If I had to get specific, it'd be a white-tailed deer. That's what I was raised on. I mean, I've been in the woods hunting white-tailed deer since I was since before I could walk. Dad had me out. He ran dogs when I was really young, and I was in a car seat in the truck. Him and my mom. So hunting white-tailed deer is just in my blood. That's something that I've always, no matter where I, if I was to ever move from Florida, I would, I, I would hate to say it. My wife would probably get mad at me, but I, I would turn down a job if they're going to state where I couldn't hunt white-tailed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's one thing to get out and go hunt elk, and it, it's fun, and and I'm sure I'm sure it's fun. I've never been able to do it, but just can't can't just abandon my white-tailed deer. I don't know if uh, it definitely be hunting for sure. I, I I don't know if I could not hunt, um, but get specific, I'd probably shoot. Them. I, there's something about it that I absolutely love hunting. That has to be favorite thing. The camaraderie of it. That, that's the thing. In any wing shooting sport, you get just the being able to communicate with each other and be together in a group because you don't really get to do it. I, I have to say, last year was the first time that I ever duck hunted. And uh, I was like, wow, this is nice. I can, I can play on my phone. I can, oh. I can talk. I can bullshit <laughs> with the other person. I don't feel so alone. Or get off the lake, go to another lake, and stop for breakfast on the way. But and every time we go out, we try to bring fishing poles with us. Because I... I we we made that mistake a few times sitting there watching bluegill just pop on the surface. Man, I should have had a fishing pole. You can get away with that out there, you know, especially down yeah. here. It's warm most of the year, so get out there fishing for bluegill, catching crappy while you're duck hunting and stuff like that. Can't beat it. Yeah, we don't have to break ice. Yeah. No. <laughs> so do you have to have a fat, fast action tip on your on your shotgun, or do you? Well, guys, I really appreciate you guys coming here and doing this with us. It's been a, it's been a great we had a great conversation. We've had some gone over a lot of really good stuff, and I hope that we can generate some more money for BHA. And I look forward to seeing you guys become a full fledged chapter here. Thanks, thank you, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate that. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Well, till next week, you guys have been here for another episode of the Enterprise Outdoors podcast. <laughs>